0: you have thought that from time to time. That, you know, Jesus being the answer to everything is just some glib statement that people in church have to make. Over the years, I've come to see things very, very differently. So now, as I grew up and faced the emotional t- turmoil of teenage years, the relational difficulties of adulthood, the, the putting bread on the table problems of adulthood, of being responsible for a family, problems of adulthood, I suddenly went back to those phrases of my Sunday school teachers. And I thought, is it possible that Jesus really could be the answer to everything? Is it possible that Jesus really was such an incredible solution to the world's problems, we just not have just not perceived it yet? And I have come to understand I've come to understand that there is a cosmic way in which Jesus certainly is the answer to in everything. In other words, it is his grace that allowed me to learn for those tests and get the answers. You know, I wasn't just, it wasn't just my great effort, That there was unbeknownst to me a loving, kind God who was interfacing with me to bring me to that place, that In some way, God has been interfacing with humanity to teach them how to make betadine so that my scrape could be healed. That he he is moving through humanity to alleviate hunger. That's much more than ice cream to the wealthy that is food on the table for every person, that there's, there's an intervention that came through Jesus Christ that actually changes the world at a cosmic level, that, there, that he is working through that visitation that happened 2,000 years to infiltrate all of society, to bring life and blessing to everything. At the same time, I've come to learn this at a very personal level, on a very intimate level, that Jesus really is the answer to everything. I am married to the greatest man alive. I'm pretty sure of that. Mm -hmm. He He says he's also sure that I'm married (laughs) to the greatest man alive. But what I have come to learn is that relationships are tough. They're fraught with misunderstandings, they fraught with our selfishness that just gets in the way of good communication and the expression of love. I understand that the world has some knocks and challenges, but this is what I've come to understand, that there is a God who is so close. There's a God who stepped out of heaven 2,000 years ago and never went away. And that every time I face a problem, every time I'm confronted with my own selfishness, every time I'm confronted with someone else's selfishness, every time I I face a situation that is not not working out the way I expected, I have a God that I can reach out to who can bring wisdom, who can bring compassion, who can touch my soul and fill the emptiness that sometimes the relationships around me have left me with. There is a God who has visited us. The subtitle of the series is When God Responds. And really this is about a God who heard every prayer, who saw every pain, who noticed every discord, who watched every dysfunction, and he answered, he responded, and his response is Jesus Christ. His response is Jesus Christ. And as a result, he has set the system of the world upside down. He has changed everything. He has brought a new reality. The problem is we live in the old reality so much that we can't sometimes see what is really there. Just just close enough to reach out to. Close enough to touch. Just a prayer away. Just a just a turning your attention away from your own issues to the concept of God's goodness around you. That's how close the solutions are. That's how close the solutions are. The first example of God visiting mankind in light of Jesus Christ actually didn't happen in the vicinity of Jesus Christ, believe it or not. It happened to some relatives of Jesus Christ by the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're going to read their story in Luke 1 in a moment. But they were an older couple who had been childless all their lives. Why this is significant is because in that time, what, it, what pains me is that women of that time were completely dependent on the men in their life for their economic well-being. I don't know if you know that. But a woman was under her father, and all, all her provision, her access to the economy, her access to prestige, her access to status, her access to identity came through her father in a patriarchal world. Once she got married, that was transferred to her husband. And here was the thing. As she got old, that was transferred to her sons. So, a woman who had no children was in a very bad place. A woman who had no sons was in a worse place. And here was Elizabeth, old of age and with nothing. No guarantee for a future, in other words. I mean, of course, just the the pain of not having a child is big enough, but in that society, it was more than that. It was a guarantee that she could live out her life well and taken care of. And then we had her husband, Zechariah, who was a priest. And he was of the order Abijah, which you don't need to know about that much. But what it meant is that he had been assigned twice a year. He would go into the temple and he would bring the incense offering to the Lord. The priests were all in stations and they were kind of in, de- in different divisions and it was divided up that they all served in the temple in this way at certain times. And here's the interesting thing about Zachariah: is he was a faithful man. He was a godly man. And I wonder about this couple, a woman who, who so desperately needed a son, And at the same time, a man who was being so very faithful with the things of God. And I can imagine that for years and years and years, they had prayed, God, look, we are serving you with everything we've got. We're doing what's right. We're living well. Please, we need a child. And year after year after year, there was nothing. Year after year, it seemed like the heavens were brass, that they... Their prayers were just falling back to earth. I don't know if any of you have experienced such a thing. I feel like everyone to some degree has had moments where where can't God see that without this, it's not going to work? Can't God see that I need this? At the same time, God, I'm being so faithful. I'm doing everything you've asked me to do. And unfortunately, we do get into this transactional thing where we say, if I perform well, God, you will do the good things for me. But just God isn't like that. Because that means when you don't do the good things, he can't bless you. And that's not who God is. God is a blessing God. Whether you do well or not, he is going to bless you. That's the freaky thing about God. It, 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 it breaks our paradigms. It messes us up so often that God is so much better than we've ever imagined. His goodness cannot be fathomed by our, our human understanding. It takes a lifetime to just begin to glimpse and change our hearts and open ourselves and get rid of the fear and the self-preservation. Say, okay, God, you are as good as you really say you are. Yeah. And here's this couple wrestling. And you know what for me is the most profound thing? It's that this couple, godly, God-fearing, years, day in and day out, doing the right thing, praying, believing God, not losing their faith, praying for a son. And God seemingly holding out on them. Why? Because they were praying for a son. And he wanted to give them a prophet. Their prayers were too small. What they were asking for was so much less than what God wanted to give them. And he had to have years upon years upon years to prepare them for this great blessing that he was bringing. Because he knew he was going to blow their minds. He was going to outstrip what they'd ever asked. He was going to do far and beyond anything they had asked for. He was going to be good beyond their wildest imagination. And they weren't ready for that. Because they were going to need to be the kinds of parents that could raise a prophet. A man who would be a forerunner of the Messiah. And for that, he needed time. And though they were confused, and though sometimes we are confused by the delay that God has in answering our prayers and bringing his goodness and delivering us from the difficult situations, there's got to be something in our hearts that knows this. There is a good God. If he's delaying, it's right that he does. And I can trust. I can trust in God. So let's go ahead and read the scripture. We'll start Luke 1 verse 11. It says, And they appeared to him, to Zechariah, an angel. Oh, sorry, I need to just preface this a little bit. So he was on his duty. It was his time. So he he was now in the temple and he was presenting the incense sacrifice before the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I will send to speak to you. I was sent to speak to you, sorry, and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Lord Jesus, bless the hearing of the word. Lord God, teach us the truths we need to know from these scriptures, Lord God. Get it deep down in our heart. The first point I want to make is that God is faithful. God is faithful. You know, this is something we know so well. It probably rolls off your lips a thousand times. But we cannot just know it intellectually. I feel like God wants to put it so deep in your heart that you cannot be moved from this revelation. You cannot be removed from this revelation. God is faithful. There is a scripture, a story in Genesis 15. It is the story of Abraham. You remember Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons talking about Sunday school, going right back to the origins. Father Abraham, Abraham called by God in Genesis 12 and told that he, his offspring will be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the, of the sea, the sands of the, the earth. And this huge promise that he would be a father of nations given to him. And years go by and he still doesn't have a son we get to Genesis 15 and God appears to him and reiterates the promise and says, yes, it's true. It's true what I said to you. I'm going to do that. How many of you know that God is going to keep speaking until you believe? He's going to keep reiterating what you need to know. So here he is in Genesis 15, and it, it, it is amazing for me, is that God comes to Abraham, and before he's made him promises, He said, this is what I'm going to do for you. But in Genesis 15, God does something so astounding, so amazing. It's almost like, why would a God do this? A God who doesn't need anything from us came down to a man, and the Bible describes how God cut a covenant with Abraham. Now, to understand Genesis 15, you must understand something about the times that it happened in. And that was covenant was a part and parcel of everyday life in those days. They were cutting covenants between nations, between individuals. And they had specific terms of covenants. And so we know when we read this covenant that happened in Genesis 15, it's very clear that this is the kind of covenant that was cut between a strong nation and a weak nation. If you want the official term, it's called a suzerain vassal contract. Are you all good with that? Suzerain vassal covenant. You never have to remember that word. But if you want to impress a history teacher, bring it out like in the middle of a conversation. I don't know how you're going to find a way to put it in, but, but they'll be impressed. A suzerain vassal contract. In other words, it's about a strong nation taking over a weak nation. And the contract they would sign. And it always involved animal sacrifices, blood. It involved the strong party declaring his goodness, the greatness of the nation. And then it involved the weaker party walking between the sacrificed animal that's been cut into pieces and saying things like, let it be to me as it was to this animal if I forsake this covenant. And they would walk between these pieces of the animal and they would declare the blessings of being in covenant with this great mighty nation. And they would declare the curses of breaking covenant. Now the wild thing about Genesis 15 is that God comes down to cut a covenant with Abraham. He asked him to get an array of animals and cut them in two and place them there. And then it says, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And then, this is the part that is so wild. Remember, it's the weaker party that walks through the pieces of the animal. As Abraham stood and watched, God came down. God came down and it says a flaming torch and a fire moved between the pieces of the animal. What is God saying? I mean, when, when I think of this, my heart just turns. Literally, God said, was saying to Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you. Of course, I'm the stronger party, but I'm going to be the weaker party too. I'm going to be both sides of this covenant, which means that let it be to me as it is to this animal if this covenant is broken. In other words, God is staking his very existence, if that's possible, on this covenant working. He's not saying, Abraham, if you are faithful to me, we will do this covenant. He's saying, Abraham, no matter whether you are faithful or not faithful, I am going to do this i will remain faithful to this covenant forever what was the covenant that through abraham every nation of the world would be blessed what is this covenant this covenant culminates in god stepping down and saying This covenant has been kept by me, but it has not been kept by the world. Abraham, his descendants, all the nations of the world did not keep their covenant with me. Therefore, as I said, if this covenant is not kept, be it unto me as was done to this animal. And Jesus hung on a cross and said, I take the consequences for your unfaithfulness. I stand in the place of every man, woman and child, nation, person who could not be faithful to God. And I will take the consequences that I will guarantee salvation through my own blood, through my own action. Jesus Christ was God, fulfilling his covenant with mankind, saying no matter what, I will be faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. There's a beautiful word, an Old Testament word called hesed. If you're Jewish, you pronounce it a little bit more guttural, hesed. Do you want to turn to your neighbor and do that? Don't spit on them. Don't spit on them. But it is a word that is used throughout the Old Testament. It is translated mercy, goodness, love, But basically it is this. It's it's a characteristic of God that is used so many times. So many times. And it basically means His covenant faithfulness. His covenant faithfulness. This is who God is. He's in covenant with you through Jesus Christ. And He guaranteed this covenant as both parties. He came down as a man to stand in your place to make a covenant with God that every nation... Will, be, will come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That every pain and destruction will be made right. His covenant with us is unbreakable. God is faithful. There's a scripture I want to share with you. It's Psalm 36, verse 5 and 7, and it says this, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. That's your hesed, O oh Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. How precious is your hesed, O oh God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. It means that God is always the right place to go to. That it's true. Turns out my Sunday school teachers are true. We're right. Jesus is the answer to everything. The next point I want to make is not only is that God is faithful, but God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. I know this is the hard part. This is the hard part. You know, I think it's quite easy to get your mind around God's faithfulness. What is a little bit hard to get your mind around is God's timing. Basically, this is his wisdom. Not only is he faithful, but he's ultimately wise. And what does that mean? It means that, that he, he decides the perfect time for something happening. God's timing is perfect. In the New Testament, there are two words for time. There's a word chronos, which is the time we use. It's the time that goes by clock. It is four o'clock now, therefore it's time to feed the dogs or whatever. It is uh, seven o'clock in the morning, therefore it's time to get up. I know you all get up a lot earlier than that. But okay, it's nine o'clock and it's December. It's time to get up. Yay. So it's a... It's just the chronological time, the time we think of. But then there's another word for time in the New Testament, and it's called kairos. Can you all say kairos? I'm teaching you Greek, Hebrew, all kinds of things here today. Kairos. And what kairos means, it's the perfect timing of God, the opportune time, the right time. The right time. Andrew and I, some years ago, were called by God to go and plant a church outside of Johannesburg. We prayed and we sought the Lord and we felt like God said to us to go and plant a church in Zimbabwe. Well, we didn't feel like God said Zimbabwe, we just thought that would be a good idea. Go to go and plant a church in Zimbabwe. And so what we did is we sold up sold up everything and we sent our work our papers in to get a visa for Zimbabwe and we uh, put all our stuff into a container and went to live with my brother and sister in law. And we imagined that in a couple of weeks, we would be able to head up to Zimbabwe and our stuff would follow us in that container and all would be good. One month went by, two months went by, three, four, five. Guys, I had packed food in that container because I was so certain that we were going to be unpacking it very soon. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine months went by, just amount of time to have a baby, which I didn't have. And finally, it became clear that Zimbabwe was not going to let us into Zimbabwe. All our stuff was in a container. We were living in one room in a house. Andrew and I were still married, but only by a, a hairbreadth because of the stress and strain of living in, a, in one room. No, we were very happily married, but we did have a few, a few moments Three children in that, in that same room, just stress and strength. God, what are you doing? You, we're trying to serve you like Zachariah. We're trying to do everything right. We're being the best kind of Christians. We're planting a church for you, God. Come on. And then Zimbabwe said, no, we don't want you. In fact, we phoned them up. We had like the, the leader of the ZANU PF party working for us. Phoned them up and he phoned us up and he said, gosh, sorry, we lost your file which is signed sign for, sorry, can't get in. So we're there we were, and we are like, God, what are you doing? The very next day, someone it, walked into the church office and said, there's a revival happen- happening in Namibia. We think you need to go and start a church there. Put in our papers the next day. It was stamped, ready to go. Yes, you're in. <laughs> so we headed off to Namibia. And we unpacked that container with fear and trembling. You know, I was like, I don't know what's going to come out of this container. I mean, that food I packed in there must have grown legs by now. It must be eating up my curtains by this stage. You know, it's like, I don't know what's... But we got it all out and everything worked well. And we began planting a church in Namibia and, and discovered something so interesting. Is that at the same time that we arrived in Namibia, four other ministries had arrived in Namibia, one from, one from Nigeria and three from different parts of South Africa. And God almost brought this cohort of leaders at the exact... I mean, we all arrived like within months of each other. Namibia had never had a revival in its whole history. And us and these four other leaders met per chance. God, Coincidence. And we said, we've all got the same vision, and God brought us all here at the same time. There must be something in it. And we began meetings together, and we saw this profound revival hit, What What happened? is that God's timing is perfect. We had asked for one thing. He knew he wanted to give us something bigger. He kept us and he held us. Why? Because he knew he needed to get not just us to Namibia, but five leaders all at the same time, with the same vision, the same passion, that we would together do something profound. God's timing is perfect. If we'd gone there any earlier, that would not have happened. And the sacrifice was a couple of boxes of oats that went off and a few. I didn't put any fruit in there, praise the Lord. But some food that went off, but God changed a nation. God's timing is perfect. Romans 5 verse 6 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, at the kairos time, Christ died for the ungodly. He got it just right. He got it just right. And in due season, sorry, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, kairos time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. I feel like the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah is meant to show us two things, that God is faithful and that his timing is perfect. What I note is that Zachariah standing there hearing from an angel that he's about to have a son, that angel had to say to him, you will not speak until the son comes. Have you ever wondered about that? I feel like there is a good chance that Zachariah would have said some things that would have undermined the plan of God. And God says, I love you too much to stop you from getting this blessing or to, to have you forfeit the joy of what's coming. So I tell you what, you just don't speak until the baby comes. And I guess what I, I want to speak to us is this beautiful story of, of God bringing the forerunner for Jesus, of God paving a way for Jesus in the world. happened to a man and a woman that God had prepared for years that they would be able to ra- raise a prophet. And that, what does that mean for you? is that God has been preparing you for years for the significant things He is doing now in your life, and that He's bringing to pass now in your life. You can trust that there is not one moment of your life, one difficulty that you've gone through, that is wasted. That every part of that is part of God bringing you to a place where you can receive the blessing that you've been, that is more than you've ever been believing for. Because He's faithful, and His timing is, is perfect. He's faithful, and his timing is perfect. Therefore, we can trust him. Therefore, we can trust him. So Lord, I want to pray for each person here. Lord God, your your presence, your faithfulness, your truth is absolutely amazing. Lord God, what you've done through Jesus, the fact that you visited this world to set things right, Lord God, that that your covenant is unbreakable, Lord God. All we have to do is say yes to it. Lord God, your covenant is unbreakable. And Father God, we want to celebrate your goodness tonight, today. Thank you, Lord God, for your covenant faithfulness. Lord God, I thank you that That every person here facing a difficult time can trust, can trust that there is a God who will never leave them, who will not forsake them. There's a a God who is faithful to the covenant that He's made with us through Jesus Christ, that He guaranteed it in His own blood. Thank Thank you, my Father. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, my Father.